time lapse. This is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker. First off, I just want to say thank you. You guys are awesome. Really, really thrilled to have so many of you listening to the show. Um, we're coming up on the holiday season. Hope you all are doing really well. Now, what we're going to try here is a different format for State of Demand Gen. This was just a, a kind of like mail-in question and answer internally with the team. Um, we thought it went pretty well. would love to hear your thoughts. So what we've done is we've created an email address. And so you can submit your questions here. It is DGL, as in Demand Gen Live, DGL at RefineLabs.com. Feel free to submit your feedback. Also, submit questions. We'll be trying to do this every week. Um, so we'd love to hear from you. Hope you enjoy this episode. So first question is from Jay on LinkedIn. Chris, if we are looking to convert previous high intent that dropped off, what are the top two approaches we should take? Email ads or something else? Interesting question, Jay. I appreciate it. Um, I think you have a couple different options here. Um, the first one is that they were high intent and they dropped off. Um, that typically means that that it was that at least the deal from that perspective is closed lost. And so, yes, you can do something specific to segment them email. Um, I don't recommend ads because you just, the audiences aren't big enough to go through the effort. So email marketing email, that is sales outreach potentially. And then the last one that I think is the most important is they just get back into the system. I can't tell you how many times we have lost a deal and then three months later won it because we lost the deal. Then the decision maker listened to the podcast for three months and then came back inbound. And so the, the whole point of this is, cre- is to create a system where your marketing is happening that people m- can move in and move out based on what they need in a lot of different channels and places where they are. And so I don't, I don't think about segmenting closed loss specifically. I think about creating a system for marketing where they can come in if they want. Sounds good. And you said that the podcast is a good way to do that. Is there anything else that you would recommend or um, anything you would not recommend? So all channels can work, right? Like it, let's just say you're selling SaaS, right? So this person goes closed lost. When you run the next cold targeted Facebook ad, they're still going to get it. When you, when you run the next retargeted LinkedIn ad, they're still going to get it. If they're in the, if they follow you on LinkedIn and you post something, they're still going to get it. Right? Like, so the segmentation, I don't think really, really matters that much because they came inbound because you were targeting them ideally for a reason already. And so I love the podcast because you can proactively share it. And as long as the information's good, you can feel really good about sharing it. Right. And so, Hey, we, we disqualify a lot of people that, um, we disqualify a lot of people and then share the podcast, especially companies that are in seed stage. It was like, Hey, we're not the right fit for you right now. Here's this podcast. There's a lot of great information. You can probably get a lot of it done yourself. At least you'd be more educated when you go to hire somebody, whether it's an agency or internal employee to do it. And then they can decide whether they listen to it or not. Um, and so I, I, because the podcast has so much depth and if you create the right way, it has by far the the best information, at least from an actionable standpoint. So um, I lean on the podcast. Cool. Next question um, from Andrew in response to your why get a demo ads don't work post on LinkedIn. 
Okay. So if I'm following correctly, is your general suggestion that the purpose of your paid social ads is to drive awareness and people to your website and then let them educate themselves and ultimately convert by requesting a conversation organically? Who is the, who asked the question again? James? Jay? Um, Andrew. Andrew. Andrew, what's up, man? Very, very thoughtful question. And I can clarify this. I don't do it enough. Is that when you are selling complex B2B products, the idea that you cold target someone and they consume your value proposition and buy something is just unrealistic. Right. And so I'm not, I'm just aligning my marketing to how people actually buy stuff. Right. I'm aligning marketing to, I just psycho, psychographically look at how I do stuff. I look at how other people buy things. I look at how, when I recommend products, whether or not people buy them, like I just look at stuff like that. And what I've been able to recognize based on both understanding people and looking at the data of trying this tactic a bunch of times before is if you just try and convert someone, people are going to convert, but they're not going to buy. And so what is the alternative is to use these channels to create awareness and drive messaging about the things that your product can help people do or the reasons why they should choose it, or the reasons why that you're different, or the new integration that you had. This is a communication channel. Just like if your sales rep was going to give a demo and talk about the Salesforce integration, how about you just deliver it and pay way less and do it way more effectively at scale to everybody, right? And so the way that I've designed this is, is I'll talk through it. I was in, this is 2016. I was a marketing manager. I was in meetings with sales reps. I was understanding all the questions that customers were asking, all of the objections that they were presenting, all the information that they didn't know that they needed to know before our sales rep had that meeting, which is why, and I observed all those things and it was why our win rates were so low. And then what I did is I figured out how do I deliver this to information to everybody in the market in a very effective way so that the next time the sales rep goes into that meeting, none of these questions happen. None of those objections are presented because they've already been addressed. So if you think about it that way, then you can use this channel as communication to teach people those things. And when, and so th that's really the way that I look at it. I understand that people are not going to see my ad and buy. And so I think about designing the marketing that helps them make the, the right decision for themselves, right? Like if you have a good product and people need it and you have a very clear sense about who those people are and you give them the information that helps them understand things, then they will make, people are smart. They'll make the choice for themselves. They'll come back, they'll come back to your website when, when they realize that they need it. Um, and so that's just, it's really the difference between branding and sales. We have another question, actually, um, in regards to that post from Matt. What do you recommend running in place of ads like these? And like these, he means, why get a demo ads don't work, so demo ads. Learn more CTA with some type of relevant, non-gated content, question mark, something else, question mark. So, Max, we just kind of broke some stuff down just in the question beforehand about alternatives, about things that you could do. And so product advertisement that highlights a feature that teaches people about that feature and the value that it provides. A uh, announcement about the new integration that you have with a key tool and then target people that use that tool. A um, case study of a successful customer that used your product and got a good business result. A um, video that teaches someone something that has nothing to do with your product, which creates brand affinity if the information is actually good. 
And so I think there's a ton of different, um, a ton of different opportunities here. I'll give you a story. And people thought I was kind of crazy when I did this and it actually worked. Is that when in 2006, 17, probably we were selling a respiratory product to emergency medicine physicians. And I went and did market research inside of the emergency department with those people at, you know, 10 PM, two in the morning and got to see what, see what was going on there. And I got to talk to them and I got to learn. And what I learned is that our product was not, not that important to them in their overall scheme of their day, which is not a bad thing as long as you acknowledge it, right? Like they still need something. They still need you. It's just not their top focus. What they were most focused on is how to make sure the person that comes in with a gunshot wound at two in the morning doesn't die. And so and then what we, what did we do? We started having webinars about some, uh, one of the best physicians in the world talking about how they treat gunshot wounds. that's different than what most people are doing and how they're having more success. And then we chop that up and then we run it on Facebook or LinkedIn to emergency medicine physicians, which creates brand. And so that's a, a, a very, when you think about paid social ads as content distribution, not as lead gen ads, you get a lot more flexibility on all the things that you can do. And you just recognize that the price that you're paying to get this per this information to this person is far less expensive than alternative ways to give them that information in order to grow the business. And so when you compare the cost of doing a hundred five minute demos on a trade show booth that costs you a hundred grand, that's a thousand dollars per demo. And that's not even including travel and all of the other expenses inside of that. Okay. And then you could try to create a demo, a three minute demo and run it on LinkedIn ads to those people. And it might cost you $30 per demo. And whether or not running a demo video is the right tactic or not, you can see the difference in the price points. And so just, there's a lot of marketing tactics that have been accepted regardless of the price. And there are just better, less expensive, more efficient, more scalable ways to accomplish the same things in other channels. Definitely. I think we've seen a lot of that this year too, um, Mm -hmm. due to COVID. Um, So interesting question we got. So you've laid off your entire marketing team with the exception of a couple sales enablement marketers. Got spend down to close to zero. This is due to COVID. Who was your first marketing hire and what will they be tasked with achieving in the new year? Do I work there? Like is is that part of the I question? I think you're the you're the CMO technically. Like if you were the CMO, what would you do? Yeah. You're doing this yourself. You're not, I mean, in in my view, you have to if you're building from the ground up, you need to be able to show that you can get stuff done. Is the way that I think. You don't need to you don't need to hire someone. You need to be able to generate some business on your own. You need to start the podcast. You need to figure out how to do LinkedIn. You need to figure out how to do email or YouTube or live Q&A or whatever, right? Like there's so many tactics. Instead of focusing on hiring someone, focusing on getting some efficacy that shows that you can actually generate results. And then once you start getting results, then you can figure out what pieces you need to make those things work better, right? Like right now, you don't know what's working, you don't know what's go- what's going to work. You don't know what channel you need. You don't know whether you need a media person or a videographer or a designer. So get something to a level that works. You can use freelancers if you don't have the skills. Like you can piece that together and just be efficient. Find something that works and then make that go go faster. Awesome. Okay. So the next question is in regards to 
podcast advertising. What are your thoughts on either having someone else advertise on your podcast or creating advertisements to put on other people's podcasts as a form of advertising? So us personally are unlikely to ever have advertisers enter the state of demand gen podcast. The reason being is that like are, we have a different way to generate revenue than ads, right? So companies that are con like a media publisher content focused, make money on ads. We make money on selling our products and services. And so we don't need to sell ads into this. And I just think it's better for the listeners not to have to deal with that. And so, um, we won't do ads on our podcast. A lot of people will, which is fine. I think everyone should make their own choice on that. Um, I think the more interesting part of the question comes down to, should we advertise on other people's podcasts? Just like, uh, it's Instagram influencers are kind of like that, but it was even, it was way different in 2016. It was the wild, wild west on Instagram. And I know this because I DM'd a hundred of them a day trying to get people to shout out the products that I was trying to sell e-commerce. And so I knew the person with 10,000 followers was going to charge something that was 10 times higher than the person with 3000 followers, not because they were had any more influence, but just because that was how the, how the marketplace kind of worked. Right. And so I, and over time you figured out, Oh, this like four to 6,000 follower range is like the place where there's actually a lot of impact. So, when this, how that relates to podcasts is that there's going to be, it's all set based on subjective understanding, right? So you can try and quantify how much the ads are worth based on who's in the ICP, how many people listen to it and how much you're willing to pay for someone to listen to your ads. So you can do a mathematical calculation to understand if you're in the same ballpark. Um, but generally this is a great buy. It's a great buy. If you are focused on brand without a direct measurement and attribution, I love it. Um, personally, especially if you have a very, if you have a very narrow audience in B2B where you can go in and get the podcast that has 500 CFOs that listen to it and know that that is going to one, not cost you a lot of money and, and two, get you to 500 people. So, um, I, I, I like the buy personally, the things to consider the, the prices are not standardized right now, especially for like small niche podcasts. Um, you're not going to be able to measure it unless you do the wrong things in order to facilitate the measurement. Yeah. So I think, uh, I would say go for it if you feel like, uh, you can deal with those couple caveats. Awesome. Um, we have another question from Asim on LinkedIn in regards to podcasting. What should the KPIs be when tracking webinar and podcast success views, signups for webinar downloads for podcast? So if you shift your perspective on the webinar, that the webinar objective is to create content, then the a number of attendees becomes less important. Yes, it would be great if you had 150 people attending instead of three, right? So it, it, does, it does matter to some level, but to a webinar for me, like we've been doing the, the state of, or sorry, what is it? Uh, Demand Gen Live for like 40 weeks now. And we've, you know, we, are always hovering in the 40 to 100 person range. And that's perfect. The reason being is that one, we're never trying to sell to the audience. And two, we, we get the impact when we distribute the content later. And so you shift your perspective on that. Really the goal of a webinar is to create a space where you can create good content with, with your people that, that you're trying to sell to, or that, that have the persona like the people that you're going after, not that you're directly trying to sell to the audience. Um, the second piece was on the podcast. Yeah. 
about how to measure it? Um, yes. Like what KPI should you be looking at um, to track webinar and podcast success? Yeah. So on, on the podcast, especially, I guess it's both early and later, but especially early on, the, the things you need to be looking for are qualitative. And so it's good to know whether there's a hundred people or a thousand people listen that hit play on the, on the podcast, but it's way more important to know how many of those people enjoyed it. And you're not going to have a measurement for that. And you're not going to be able to, you can kind of try and correlate um, repeat visitors, but it's going to be hard to, hard to actually measure. And so people struggle with the podcast because it's large, it's largely difficult to, to measure and quantify and do an impact. And so the way that we know that our podcast is working is one that the follower or the subscriber growth has continued to grow. The subscriber growth is a great, like kind of, um, how do you say this direct quantitative way? However, I know that it's working because everyone that starts a sales conversation says that they've been listening to it for three months. I know because I get messages from people on LinkedIn that say, I've been listening to your podcast for, I listened to your podcast for two weeks and I went and got a way better job or I've been doing this and this, this good thing happened to me. That's how I know it's working. And so I, I would really challenge people that are trying to do a podcast to get way more focused on the qualitative, even on LinkedIn at the beginning, I was way more focused on what people were saying in the comments and who was saying it than how many likes I got. I still am like my links, my likes have gone down and I'm, I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? It's just the way, that, the way that things change. If you're not caught up so much in the numbers, you can get focused on the things that really matter. Okay. Next one. Um, Chris, I see you putting out content on LinkedIn every day. Any tips on how to become a better copywriter? So I'll offer two, two ideas. The first one is understand your audience. And so I've, as I've been able to have deeper and deeper understanding of the audience, I think the content works better. Um, and the second thing is to do it as much as possible because you get better. And so I've never considered myself a good copywriter. I never, I don't like, I don't, I don't think about myself that way, but through repetition and practice, I've been able to get to a place where people, people think that I am. And so, um, yeah, I think the number one piece, those are two very controllable, actionable insights is go and understand the people that you're trying to communicate with, understand how they communicate, understand what acronyms they use, understand the things that they like and that they don't like and all those pieces. And the second thing is just to keep practicing, to keep iterating. How do you use short-term metrics as a tool without letting them guide your overall strategy? We're going in there to the companies that we work for and we're making an impact quickly. The key is that knowing what are the right metrics, right? And so just because you are focused on generating an impact in a short period of time, does not mean that it's not effective, does not mean that you're doing the wrong things. What's what's short term is doing a ton of lead gen to hit a number that doesn't actually materialize to business outcomes. So the first thing that we do is we go in and look at where the revenue is coming from, from a marketing standpoint for this company, this fictitious company that we're working for. And then we show them, this is where the revenue is coming from. 
and here are all the things that you're doing and spending a lot of money on that's not generating anything. And here is all the waste and let's quantify how much money is actually being wasted when we put into account the 30 SDRs that are following up with these leads, all the monies that be, that's being spent, all the demos that are being done for people that don't close. Let's try and estimate how much money that we're wasting here. And over here, we have these people that are actually becoming revenue. And then we can, well, you can look back at how they got there. And it's the same for every SaaS company. They came through the demo form. And then it's how do we do it in the right way in order to make more people come through the demo form in the same way that those people did. And that's, that's where we focus on. And so moving that number from 50 to 100 makes a huge, um, way more better business impact than generating a thousand ebook downloads. And so I, I don't know, maybe you can rephrase the question because I'm not exactly sure that I hit on it. Because yeah. I, yeah. How do you use short-term metrics without letting them guide your overall strategy? Yeah, the 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 key on this one is just by uh, by uh, done this at twenty five companies. Like you 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 know what to look for to know whether or not this work is working. And if you set yourself up in the right situation, you you have good confidence that if you see keep seeing the same things, that it's going to lead to the same outcome that you've seen the first thirty times, right? And so. The short-term metrics to look at that I look at, we'll get really tactical here. Huge caveat for the people listening here. These metrics may not matter to you if you don't do marketing like us, right? And so the things that I'm looking for early, early um, beyond before the demo are homepage traffic trending, not, I guess, or non-paid traffic a number of people that viewed the demo page trending, number number of people that converted on that page and then the conversion rate between those two things, the number of impressions that are happening on the ad channels that matter, how many attributed demos are coming from those ones in the ad platforms, even down to like CPM CPM cost and things like that, I think are can be relatively important as an early warning signal. And so those are the how many how much time people are spending on the web page from the ad like i think there's a ton of metrics that you can correlate to the outcome that you want but when it um when it all comes down to it it's about having trying to figure out what are the things that you need to measure that make you feel comfortable that the things that you're doing are educating the right buyers on the things that you need in order for them to be more educated on the product which is the definition of marketing let's see on a similar short-term metrics note could you break down the statement, not all MQLs are created equal? Yeah, who's this question come from? From me. <laughs> I took it from one of your LinkedIn posts. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So for everyone listening, let's really break this down. Not all MQLs are created equal. And if people are listening to this right now and they're not sure about whether or not this is correct, I would really challenge them to go into Salesforce and build this report. And so what they should do is they should go into Salesforce and they should build a report of all of their MQLs. And then they should look at the conversion rates of all of those MQLs to customers. And what they're going to find is a range somewhere between in the high end, it could be somewhere between seven and 12%. And on the low end, it could be less than 0.1%. And that is the definition of not all MQLs are created equal. It depends what source they came from, what they converted on, whether it was paid or organic, whether it was on desktop or mobile, whether you used a squeeze page or not, all of these different factors will influence downstream conversions. And so if you're able to see that, then you can, you can then use that insight to know which things to shut off immediately. That's just why I talk about shutting, shutting things like content syndication down 
is because if you just looked at the at the data, it would tell you that it's not a smart way to spend money. And so that's why that's not all MQLs are created equal. Um, as, as you look downstream, you'll realize that plays out through the whole funnel based on source and source is basically a surrogate inside of Salesforce for the level of buying intent from the customer. And you need to apply a lot of psychology to understand based on what source and what conversion and what thing and where they were, all those, you have to apply a sense of psychology about the level of intent because it's not black and white. Um, okay. Last question. Cool. Cool. Um, what are your thoughts on doing the same things your competitors are doing solely because they are doing them? I know um, the answer, but. <laughs> so I, I just think that's in general, not smart. Um, you should do, you should do the things that are most effective, not the things that your customers are doing. And I would argue that, if you looked and assessed, because I just look at the overall SaaS landscape, the companies that stand out and are being the most successful are the ones that are not doing what everyone else is doing because they're ahead, right? Like the, if you look at like how things are distributed, a majority of the companies fall into the same bucket because they just listen to whatever someone else said. And the way that you become innovative is to take a hard look at whether or not those things are true or whether things have changed. And the way that you can figure that out is by spending a lot of time focused on your customer. The way that I figured out how to do all this, the reason that we're sitting here today is that one day I was in a a pediatric ICU at 11 p.m. And I was trying, we were doing implementation there with our product and I was trying to understand how it was going to be used and it was part of my job. And then when I looked at when people weren't taking care of patients, I just looked at what they were doing and they were on their phones on Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook. And then I figured out, oh, like we need to put content there, right? And so if you just looked at what, if you, if you were thoughtful and you just looked about how your, how your, your customers or prospective customers actually behave, it would tell you the places to advertise. It would tell you the places that you should be producing content, right? Not everyone is on LinkedIn right now. If you're selling to... The, the 60 year old middle America construction worker, you should probably advertise on Facebook, right? Like that's the place to do it. And so it's a generalization, but that's pretty much how that happens with that demo. Um, and so, yeah, it comes down to just, if you, if you understand your customer, you can figure that stuff out. That's all I got for today. Cool, everyone. AMA, raw AMA round two. Again, if you have questions, submit them to DGL as in demand gen live dgl at refinelabs.com. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you soon.